Our sermon scripture this morning is taken from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, as Pastor Michael continues our series in Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. The very word of our Lord. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you that uh, you have revealed yourself to us so profoundly through it. And Lord, I pray now that as we hear from your word, we would cherish it and that by your spirit, you would illumine our hearts and minds that we would truly uh, listen to what you have for us and would absorb it. And likewise, I pray that by your spirit that you would give Pastor Michael clarity of mind and speech as he teaches, as he gives us the truth that you have laid on his heart for us. And that as a result, Lord, we would go away renewed, uh, renewed in that beautiful community of faith that you brought us together here in. And we pray this in your name alone. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, it's always a privilege to be able to open God's word with you. And uh, as Jim said, we're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians called A Feast to Equip. Today, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Last week, Andrew preached on the beginning of chapter four, where we're called to maintain the unity that God has already given us in the body of Christ. We have this all for one, uh, this one for all unity that gets worked out in the all for one diversity of gifts that make up the many members of our church. So unity and diversity are all directed toward maturity. That's the topic that we'll be talking about today, what is maturity? When we think of maturity, we think of the question, what, are, what is a mature Christian? Who do you think of when you think of a mature Christian? Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's someone like Billy Graham. Maybe it's someone that you know sitting next to you in the pews. It's interesting that our passage today is focused on maturity of individual Christians, but even more so, it's focused on a mature church. What is a mature church? And I think that might be a harder question to answer or to picture in your mind. You might be able to think of a mature Christian, but typically it's harder to think of what a mature church looks like. 
Part of that is that a lot of us have fairly limited experiences. We're in one church, so sometimes we don't know what's outside our own context. And all the things that we see in the news are always when a church isn't mature, or at least that's what it seems like. You see uh, a church imploding, a celebrity pastor failing, abuse, scandal, all of these things happening. And yet, Jesus loves his church. He's promised to build his church. And he wants to create in and through us a mature church. So what does a mature church look like? As we work through our passage today, we'll see four things. A mature church is marked by members who are equipped for ministry, growing together in doctrine and discernment, cultivating Christ-like character, and sustained by the gospel. You'll see those four points in your bulletin. You can follow along that way. But that's what we'll be looking at. So first, we're going to look at uh, equipped for ministry. A mature church is marked by members who are equipped for ministry. Look with me at verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, pause there. You may remember last week, right before the verses that I just read, they contain this metaphor of a, a conquering leader. Do you remember Andrew talking about this? A conquering leader would go and he would win the battle and he would come back with the spoils of war and he would distribute them as gifts to the supporters who were back home. It's a metaphor for Jesus. Jesus descended to earth and through his sinless life and sacrificial death on the cross and God raising him from the dead, he defeated the powers of Satan's sin and darkness. And he came back with all of these spoils of war and he gave them to his people. But what were the gifts that he gave? Here, the gifts that he gives his people are people. Isn't that interesting? Specifically leaders, faithful, mature leaders in the church are Christ's gift to his people. As a leader, that's extremely humbling. That's why elsewhere in scripture that it says being a church leader is a high calling, that's a weighty responsibility. Us pastors and elders and leaders have a great responsibility because we're called to, sh we're called to shepherd the souls of God's sheep. That's weighty. So because of that, we need your prayers. Please pray for the people that God has called to lead you. We need it. And give us feedback. Help us know how we're doing. Yes, encouragement, but also we need everyone to see our blind spots and tell us. So Christ has given his people the gift of leaders for what purpose? What is the purpose of these leaders? Look at verse 12. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is crucial uh, because it's really easy to think of ministry as something that pastors do. It's really think, it's easy to think of ministry as something that church staff does. And there's a sense in which that's true. Like ministry, there are unique roles in the body of Christ. 
And yet here what it's saying is that ministry isn't just the work of church leaders. Ministry is the work of all of God's people. Leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry. Saints here just means every Christian in the church. And ministry means service, using your time, your gifts, your knowledge, your passions for the sake of others in the body. Why does all this matter? Because a healthy church, a mature church, cannot have a consumer mindset. It has to have a servant mindset. A consumer mindset says that I come to church exclusively for what I get out of it. The music, the preaching, the programs, they all need to be tailored to fit my preferences and my felt needs. Don't get me wrong, corporate worship and the life of the body does benefit us. It is for our good. But we're not simply consumers, we're also called to be contributors. We're not here for a concert as wonderful as the choir is. We're here to join our voices together in praise of God and for the good of each other. Do you ever think about that when you sing something. This is actually a point that's going to come up in my Adult Institute class today as we're going through life together. One of the things he talks about is singing together. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer is the book that we're going through. But the idea is that sometimes the words you're singing don't feel like what you're feeling in your heart. But it resonates deeply with the person next to you. It's exactly what they're going through. So as a body... We're called to lend our voices, not just when it feels like what we're feeling, but always. Because together we minister to each other as we're praising God. And the same is not just true of worship, it's true of all of life. Maturity means putting the things you learn into practice. We don't have this merely theoretical academic religion we have a boots on the ground, body of Christ in action, feeding the poor, clothing the needy, comforting the afflicted, caring for the widow and the orphan religion. So maturity is not measured by our consumption, but by our service. Are we using our gifts for each other? Are we upholding our membership vows that we take uh, towards our covenant children by working in the nursery by teaching Sunday school, by getting to know the students of the church and loving them, showing them Jesus, helping them know that a Jesus-loving adult actually cares about them. We need everyone to build up the body of Christ. That's why we don't just have pastors. Can you imagine if me and Andrew and Roger were the only ones who were to care for the entire needs of the church? There's, there's no way. So we have a plurality of elders who work together to shepherd their folds, their section of the congregation. And they don't do it alone. They enlist deacons to help them and female fold facilitators to share the work of caring for God's people. But it's not just them. As leaders care for individuals, they equip individuals to care for one another. 
we become enabled and empowered to bear each other's burdens. And it's actually through putting our gifts into practice that we grow in our maturity. Knowledge on a shelf is like a muscle in a cast. It atrophies, but when you put it to work, it grows and it strengthens. And that mindset that, that it's a, a leaders equipping all of us for the sake of building up the body, it guards against abuses. It keeps it from being one leader on a pedestal where it's their ministry, because really it's all of our ministry. It's not about building up individual egos, it's uh, not making a name for ourselves, but making the name of Christ great through being one part of many working together. Equipped saints use the, their gifts in ministry to build up the body. So ask yourself, are you being equipped? What are you being equipped for? Do you come to worship hungry to learn about God's word? Do you stick around and meet new people after church so that you can get to know them and serve them and pray for them and maybe even invite them over? Do you have a consumer mindset or are you an equipped contributor eager to build up the body of Christ? Where are you putting the riches of the faith that God has given you into practice in the service of others? A mature church is marked by members who are equipped for ministry, but also, secondly, members who are growing together in doctrine and discernment growing together in doctrine and discernment. Look at verses 13 and 14. Leading up to it, saints are equipped for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Maturity is not mere knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Paul says elsewhere that knowledge puffs us up into pride, but love builds us up into a body. At the same time, it's not enough to merely be serving and not con be concerned at all with knowledge of Jesus. We have a personal faith. We have a word-based faith. God does want us to grow in our knowledge about God. And God wants us to know not to grow, not just in our knowledge of him, about him, but he wants us to grow in knowing him personally. Faith without works is dead, but also works without the underlying faith, without a deepening knowledge of Jesus, without right biblical doctrine is dangerous because it's unstable. That's how you get movements like the social gospel. We're called here to grow 
in the unity of our faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. God calls every Christian to be a lifelong learner, a student of Scripture, hungry to see more and more of who Jesus has revealed himself to be. That's why here we preach through books of the Bible. That's why Scripture saturates the liturgy of our worship service. That's why we offer adult institute classes that cover the full range of things from theology to scripture, to engaging culture, to sharing your faith, to engaging needs outside our church, to our identity in Christ. We need to be people who are hungry to know God more because there is no point at which you'll be able to say this side of heaven, I know everything there is to know about God and I don't need to get to know him anymore. It's constant growth. And as we grow together in our doctrine, Paul says that we grow out of spiritual childhood. We grow from spiritual childhood into adulthood. Now, before we talk about discernment in verse 14, I wanna make a brief comment about spiritual children in the church. And it'll make sense, I promise. Uh, when I went to Covenant Seminary, I lived on campus for most of my time there. And the seminary was located in this wealthy neighborhood uh, of St. Louis. And we used to joke all the time that by having a bunch of poor seminary students living on campus, we brought down the median income of the neighborhood significantly. Um, and I have no idea what the neighbors thought of having a bunch of us random seminary students living on campus in the middle of their neighborhood. Why am I telling you this? I told you it would make sense. That because we're called in the church to be raising the spiritual median income of our congregation through learning together, we also need to be seeking to lower it. Why would I say that? Because the goal isn't just to take everyone who's already here and, and helping us grow deeper in our knowledge of God. That is a goal. But we don't want the church to turn into a seminary classroom where we're all talking about biblical Hebrew and trying to understand Karl Barth, which is very difficult to do. That's, those are not bad things. But as we're growing, we should be constantly seeking to bring in spiritual children, our own actual children, but also unbelievers, new believers. We shouldn't outgrow being a place where anyone can come and meet Jesus and learn the basics of the faith and the gospel. So it is a depth for all of us while also not outgrowing having fundamental conversations about faith and life. I'm saying that we have a mission, the great commission to make disciples. And as we do that, our faith actually grows deeper and stronger because we're wrestling with doubts and questions that skeptics have. And that's good for us because an unquestioned faith isn't a faith that has developed real discernment that can stand against the wind and the waves. That's what we're talking about next, uh, that we need 
discernment. We see that in verse 14. As we're growing together in our understanding of doctrine, it gives us discernment. Spiritual children, according to our passage, are tossed to and fro by the waves. Like a, like a small sailboat out on Lake Michigan, totally uh, helpless. Wherever the wind and waves blow, blows that little boat is where it goes. We need an anchor. We need truth. We need something rooting us so they're not carried over every which way. The classic illustration of this is, uh, has to do with uh, money, counterfeit money. How do the people who are charged with finding counterfeit dollar bills go about it? It's by spending lots of time looking at and touching and studying real dollar bills is what lets them know when they see a counterfeit because it doesn't measure up with the real thing. We need to be spending time with God's word, learning real true doctrine so that when false doctrine comes about, we know it and we can spot it. And we're not children who are victim to be taken about by it, but we can say, no, I know what God's word says. We've developed discernment. And we need discernment for a couple reasons. We need it for, it says, the wind of doctrine. It's talking about false doctrine, things that go against God's word. And sometimes false doctrine can come from a well-intentioned place. It might even come from the pulpit of a church, like this one. That's why everything that you hear, even from my mouth, even from Pastor Andrew's mouth, compare it against the word of God. See how it measures up. If we say something that's out of line with God's word, tell us about it. It's possible. We need to be people of the word. But also, there's a sense in which being carried about by different doctrines happens even with true things that, that take us off sight of our real purpose. I've been in places like this. I went to a Christian college. I've been to seminary. I know that there can be a tendency to get so focused on things that may be true, but are insignificant or speculative. Like, are we spending all of our time talking about these speculative things at the expense of actually practical engagement with real life, putting our faith into practice? It's good to have depth, but we can never remove the depth of our knowledge from the cross. What we learn has to be rooted in the person of Jesus and have an outflow in the actual lives of other people. It also mentions cunning and deceitful schemes. This reminds us that it's not just sometimes uh, accidental <coughs> false teaching. There are actual wolves out there. There are people who do not have a love for the people of God who are seeking to lead us astray. We have an enemy, the devil, who is out to get us. So by saturating ourselves in God's word, in community, we could know the difference between the truth and a deceitful scheme. So ask yourself, are you eager to learn? Are you eager 
to grow? Are you spending time with the real dollar bills of God's word so that you can feel the counterfeits? A mature church is marked by saints who are equipped, who are growing in doctrine and discernment, and also members who are cultivating Christ-like character. Cultivating Christ-like character. This is our third point. Look at verse 15. In contrast to being tossed to and fro by false doctrines and deceitful schemes, we're told in verse 15, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The phrase speaking the truth in love has made its way at least a little bit into our vocabulary. We might think of a situation where, uh, where you love sweet Aunt Karen, but you have to find a way to gently tell her that her chicken casserole was a little bit underbaked and actually was a salmonella surprise. Or you think of the student who needs to be introduced to the world of deodorant. But what's in view isn't so much that, but something more narrow and specific. There is a place for kind-hearted confrontation, but here it's talking about how the love of Christ motivates us to become people of the truth. The Greek word here could be translated truthing truthing in love. It's both our words and our deeds flowing from an attitude of love. That's challenging because our words are not enough. Our deeds are not enough. It needs the proper attitude and motivation with it. A mature church is a place where life-giving truth is spoken and lived out, where we actually practice what we preach. Again, that doesn't mean that we're sinless and perfect. There's a place for repentance that we talk about, but we are actually doing the things that we talk about. And this is Christ-like. John said that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus, the author of Scripture, perfectly kept the law. He was motivated by compassion. Think of the places where it talks about Jesus looking on people and loving them. I think we all know what truth without love or love without truth looks like. Love without truth is the place where all religions are equal, where syncretism rules they. All that matters is caring for people through love, but love isn't defined by the character of God. Then on the other hand, I think we know the places where truth exists without love, where it's all about us being right and we're known by what we're against and not what we're for. But God calls us to both. The church needs to be a place where truth is spoken and lived out. What does that look like? It, <laughs> this isn't a plug, but it could be. It looks like a lament service tonight. Like, we are not a community of truth if we never talk about hard things. Jesus condemns those who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
We talk about difficult things together. If the conversations of how are you doing uh, when you come on a Sunday morning are always fine, fine, but there's no depth and you're actually struggling, like that's not speaking the truth in love. We need to be honest, radically honest. Another way that it happens, uh, there's a pastor named Sam Crabtree. He's written a book called Practicing Affirmation that's super helpful. And his main point there is that we can look at other people, see how they're putting the character of Christ into practice, and tell them and encourage them. And it's not flattery, it's not stroking their ego, it's actually praising God to say, hey, I saw you sacrificially serve, and as you did, you were displaying the character of Christ. Like, we should be a place where people are encouraged because we're calling out the Christ-like things that we see in each other. And as we speak the truth in love, we grow up in every way into Christ, the head of the church. A mature church is growing together. It's marked by sanctification, both as individuals and corporately. What is sanctification? It's God working in us to make us more and more like Jesus as we put our sins to death and we become alive to the things of God, the things God created us for. What does sanctification look like on an all-church level? It looks like culture. Is the character of Christ on display in the air here? Like when you go into the kitchen, do you see people, do you see bearing with one another when, when, when it's hot and the food isn't cooking, is there patience? Are people willing to jump in and help? At, uh, in Ephesians 4, the beginning of the chapter, it talked about how we are supposed to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. That's what we read in our silent meditation, that Jesus was so humble, he took the form of a servant, sacrificed everything, and he calls us to do the same. Do we see that in the culture of our church? When we think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I think that's all of them, is... Is that in the air here? Do we see that in our conversations? Do we see that when we're with each other? We need to be growing more and more into the image of Christ so that when someone, if someone who doesn't know Jesus, maybe even someone who knows that we disagree with them about something significant in their life, something significant that they believe, could they come into our community and see something different? Could they see Jesus on display in the way that we love each other? Are we growing to look more and more like Jesus? We can have all of these things. We can have members who are being equipped to serve. We can have people using their gifts. We can be growing in our doctrine and discernment. We can be looking more and more like Jesus. But how does it happen? Where does the strength come from? 
What fuels actual Christian maturity in the church? That brings us to our final point. We see that a mature church is marked by members who are sustained by the gospel. Sustained by the gospel. This is so important because without this, we're left with the weight of maturity entirely on our own shoulders. And that's crushing. Yet the gospel brings life and freedom because in Christ, God provides the very thing he calls us to. Verse 15 ends with into Christ. And it continues in verse 16. Look at verse 16. It says, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Maturity isn't outgrowing our need for Jesus. Maturity is knowing more and more how much we need Jesus daily. It's easy to slip into working out of our own strength. It's easy to uh, drift away from a lifestyle that's marked by love and repentance. But here we see who is it that holds the body together? It's Christ. With all of its various members from all different places, all different skills and abilities, Christ holds us together, not us. It's Christ who ultimately equips every joint and makes sure every part is working properly. It's Christ who makes the body grow because it's Christ who loved us even unto death. Maturity means we never move beyond what Christ has done for us, but only deeper into it. And only then, when we're fueled by the gospel, it gives us a radical freedom. If we're operating out of what Christ has done for us, we are free. We have the freedom from having to prove ourselves. It's not about our performance, it's about Jesus. We have the freedom from having to make a name for ourselves. It's not about the legacy of Christ church in particular, it's about the legacy of Jesus. We have the freedom to be a place where we can honestly confess our sins and failures. We don't have to pretend to be perfect. We don't have to pretend that we don't have flaws. Jesus died for our sins and failures, so we don't have to hide them. We have the freedom to practice radical honesty. We can share our deepest, darkest moments with each other because we know that we're all sinners who Christ has died for. It gives us the freedom not to be threatened by the gift of gifts of others. If someone else is gifted in a way that you're not, praise God, it contributes to the growth of the body and the glory of God. It gives us the freedom to ask hard questions, to allow doubters and skeptics, because we know that Christ is real and our faith stands up. And it gives us the freedom to be totally spent. Paul says, poured out like a drink offering because we don't have to refill ourselves. Christ constantly fills his people. <clears throat> so what does a mature church look like? 
It looks like a church that's growing more and more into the image of Jesus, fueled by the finished work and the person of Jesus. Let's pray that God would make us more and more into that kind of church. Pray with me. God, thank you for the blessing that you are to your church. You are the head. You built the church. We're grateful. I pray that you would give us the strength, not in our own strength, but in your strength, to serve one another, to use our gifts, to be honest and vulnerable, to be people of the truth. Give us discernment. Help us to love our neighbors well. Help us to make much of your name and not our own name. And when we fail, help us come to you quickly in repentance because you are a good God who forgives. Help us to be people so marked by forgiveness that we can display the radical humility of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, by his spirit. Amen.